Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Just wanted to remind you to check out our website. It's www.messystudiopodcast.com. And there you can find information about the show and about episodes. Uh, You can also find a contact form there if you want to let us know what you think. Um, That's also how you're going to get a hold of us if you have an art-related product or service or an event that you want us to advertise. Uh, right now, advertising rates are right around 30 bucks for a one-minute ad read. Um, those rates are probably going to be recalculated and going up soon uh, based on our expanding listener base. Um, you can also find the donate button in the upper right-hand corner. It's a yellow button that says donate. And there you can set up a single time donation or a recurring monthly donation for whatever amount you feel this content is worth to you. Um, We haven't had any donations in a few weeks, and that's still the best way to support the show. And uh, we'll also thank you directly um, and give you a little shout out at the beginning of an episode. So once again, that's www.messystudiopodcast.com. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I'm Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about My Kid Could Do That. Saying that an abstract painting is something a preschooler could do sounds like the ultimate put down for abstract art. It implies that abstraction is a scam, meant to fool the viewer into thinking it has actual importance and ridiculing the fact that it is sold for thousands of dollars. It also denies that it takes effort, skill, or seriousness to make the work. But can that same remark be viewed in a positive light instead? What could we lose as adult artists that children have naturally before becoming self-conscious about their work? And is child art really the equivalent of adult work? Today, we'll throw around some ideas about the relationship between abstraction and child art. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So I started thinking about this topic after watching um, a documentary, and I think it was on Amazon Prime, and it's called uh, My Kid Could Paint That. And it it follows the story of a four-year-old who, um, she gains this uh, quite a bit of fame in the art world for her large, colorful, abstract paintings. Uh, She actually was selling them at one point for thousands of dollars. And um, the documentary also covers some of her later attempts, I'm sorry, some of the later attempts to debunk her work and and to kind of do an expose that, hey, maybe her father was helping or something like that. Um, And and there were a lot of issues brought up in uh, in this documentary. I think it's pretty interesting for people to watch um but basically uh, as somebody pointed out near the end of the documentary it's it's all about the adults you know it's not really about the kid or what she's doing because she's kind of doing what small children do you know and she does it well um and they're beautiful paintings but it's really about the adult interpretation of the whole situation and also about the importance of the artist's story, because one of the reasons that these paintings were selling was the fact that they were done by a four-year-old. You know, that's part of her story, right? So, um, but I started thinking about this phrase, my kid could do that, um, because, you know, it, it is kind of the ultimate thing that people say is a put-down of this type of work that's expressionistic, gestural, 
um, spontaneous painting. And to me, saying my kid could do that is is a is kind of honoring the child, not uh, disparaging the adult artist. Um, that the fact that kids can do this, uh, and some better than others, but um, I kind of think that if every preschooler had the art materials that this child did, you know, huge amounts of acrylic paint, big canvases, and very supportive parents, and giving her a place to work and all that. Um, that the world would be full of these beautiful um, preschool paintings, you know, uh, because very often, and parents all know this, very often kids really do come up with some stuff that somehow intuitively is balanced, there's um, composition to it. Other times, it's a big mess, it's a muddy mess, you know, and, and they're just having fun. Um, and Probably uh, some kids do have this kind of intuitive sense of, of composition. Um, and that's great, you know, and, and others may not. And it does not actually mean that they're necessarily going to pursue a career in art or anything like that. Um, this particular child, it was interesting, I read about her a little bit. Um, I read about her a little bit as a, as a young adult, which she is now, and she really she does some art, but it's not her thing anymore. It's just kind of this phase she went through. And um, and a gallery, rather cynical gallery owner, decided to promote her work. And there's part of the film where he, he says to the camera, well, I think it's kind of a scam or something like that. <laughs> at, at the point where she was being debunked, you know, he was trying to like backpedal. Um, so I don't know, it just brings up a lot of kind of interesting ideas about abstraction. Um, and and a lot of times I've talked about this before I, um, with students and things. There, there was a study done by Boston College in uh, 2011, which is pretty interesting. And, and people who did not have an art background, the grownups, were shown uh, images and they had to say whether they thought it was done by a child or by uh, an abstract adult painter. And the correct answers were definitely above statistical average, you know, that would just be random choice. So people were apparently, to some extent, able to recognize um, that there is, they can kind of recognize intentionality and structure was the way that the study put it um, in the adult art that, that wouldn't have been there necessarily in the, in the children's art. And again, talking about this kind of, um, gestural expressionistic abstraction. I mean, people like Cy Twombly, um, Jackson Pollock. Obviously, there's lots of other kinds of abstraction that are, you know, much more planned out or controlled or cerebral or whatever. Um, but this particular kind of work, and it's the one that people say, oh, that's nothing. No, anybody could do that. Kids do pick up on things very quickly. And um, I, there's certainly, there's a lot of, of things that, that kids can can do even better than adults. Um, a lot of times, uh, things that require, um, you know, attention to, uh, details, kids have small hands and small eyes. And, um, and so th sometimes kids are better just mechanically at, uh, at achieving something. Um, but, uh, and, and there's also a, uh, an aspect of this whole thing where, um, if uh, if you're if you're watching something that or looking at something that you have no basis of understanding for, it's very hard to uh, pick up on what the technical difficulties of that are. 
So yeah. if you know nothing about figure skating, for instance, then, I mean, obviously figure skating looks very technically difficult, but you don't really know the technical difficulties of one move versus the other. Um, and so there's a lot of things where, or, you know, playing a musical instrument might be a, a better example because this is something that kids actually do. And the, um, we, and I think most of us have learned some kind of musical ability. And so we under we have some basis for understanding of, of what makes a, a technically difficult piece of music versus, uh, something that's easy to play, but you can, you can achieve very quickly, um, a certain level of proficiency with a musical instrument. And so it's it's once you have that technical basis, you can look at something that kids are doing and understand uh, just how much technical ability is involved with it or how much thought or um, what's going into this this piece. Yeah, and, and children approach their art so differently. Um, I think anybody who's been around little kids and see how they paint or draw. Um, if you just ask a child to tell me about your picture, and I say that because typically um, the adult mistake is, oh, is that a house? You know, <laughs> like trying to find something concrete in there. But if you just say, well, tell me about your picture. And children often start this very imaginative story that goes with their picture. And um and they, you know, like this big blue blob could be something like, you know, this is the angry cloud or whatever. You know, it's like, it's fascinating. Um, I used to write on the back of some of the stuff that you and Ben would do and like the story that you told with it. Um, so what what they're actually doing is is playing out an imaginative scene in their mind, or they're just sometimes just loving the the texture of the paint or it's very tactile. Um, so... They're, they're really approaching in a different way. Intuitively, they may actually come up with good compositions and things like that, but it's like a whole different mindset. Um, and I think what what really struck me when I was thinking about this whole aspect of this uh, spontaneity of children's art and the spontaneity of adult art is that we don't tend to value spontaneity that much Um in this type of work, whereas we do in other art forms, like um, we even we even value it in in realistic artwork. If a if a person does spontaneously a gestural drawing of a figure and it's very accurate, we're like, oh yeah, that's really good. You know, they did it in thirty seconds. Um, we appreciate spontaneity in in uh, certain kinds of music like jazz, uh, improv theater. Uh, so why is it with this type of abstraction that, um, which actually shows a lot of fluency and, and command of the medium and, and a direct line to emotion, why is it we're, oh, I'm not saying we're, but probably most of the people listening to this are not of this opinion, but many people don't think of that as, as good art. Um, and visual art is also unique in that it's static. I mean, we don't actually see the person doing this usually. Um, whereas um, with some of these other things, with theater, with what well, you mentioned, figure skating, you know, we're right there. We're, we're seeing what happens right in that moment. And looking at a, a gestural type of painting, it's easy to say, oh, they just flung some paint around, you know. <laughs> we are not 
uh, privy to the practice that went into this or the evaluation because adults do tend to self-critique. Um, we don't see the ones that went in the trash, you know. Uh, we don't see how they got good with the materials, any of that stuff. Um, it's just like face value, and it becomes something easy to dismiss. Um, and and when there are, I'm thinking about somebody also like Picasso, because he had this very um, famous quote, um, I've got it here somewhere on my notes, it took me four years to paint like Raphael, but a lifetime to paint like a child. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I want to spend some time talking about this, the difficulties of this for adults, but when you think about his figures, which although they're not that gestural type of abstraction, are another thing that people often dismiss. Oh, it's just a crude distortion. You know, it's, couldn't he draw, um, couldn't he paint a realistic figure? Well, if you know anything about his work, you know that he absolutely could. Their early work is very uh, realistic. Um, but it was a choice, you know. And so recognizing that artists are choosing this way of working, um, that's important. It's not, with children, it's a developmental stage before they get to the point where they want to create realism, which does happen for a lot of kids. Uh, they they get frustrated with this other stuff and they, they give it up. Um, usually, I think it's around eight years old or something. They start, maybe a little bit later, starting to want to something to look right. Um, and that's apparently just developmental. It's part of recognizing that there's a, other things in the world besides you know your own brain um and the last thing i want to touch on with this sort of attitude of this stuff is worthless is this whole thing about um abstract artists obviously cannot draw you know this is i remember somebody saying that about my work um in a comment on um i think it's on my youtube video and uh, there's all these nice comments you know but like that was like what i could certainly draw you know but hey, maybe that's not even the point. Um, I don't think if someone can't draw, it negates what they do as an abstract artist. I think it's really helpful to be able to draw. It, it broadens your um, vocabulary. But it's kind of two different languages, really. Um, and, and I don't believe that realism is any longer the baseline for what is good art. Um both ways of working have something to teach each other. If you are able to do both, um, it's a good thing. Right. And being being talented in one informs your, your work in the other. It does. Um, and in my workshops, I've, I've had so many students come to me as adults who have for a long time worked in realism, usually landscape painting. And they've, they've been they have this real urge to um, to make their work more abstract in whatever whatever that means to them. Sometimes it means completely no subject matter at all. Sometimes it means a more abstract interpretation of whatever subject they were dealing with. Um, but it is this kind of compelling idea, and it is certainly not something to dismiss as unworthy. And that I think anybody who's struggled with this, um, trying to to do good abstract painting finds that pretty objectionable. Um, and that's why we, I think we respond to that remark so negatively uh, about my kid could do it. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? Yes, maybe, but could you do it? 
Right. It's perhaps right. more the point. <laughs> I want to take a quick minute to remind everyone to use our affiliate link when you order your art supplies from Blick.com. Uh, you can just go to MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick or click the link in the description of this episode and it will take you right to Blick through our affiliate link, which means that Blick will donate 10% of your purchase towards keeping this podcast going. I know a lot of our listeners use uh, cold wax, and right now Blick is running a sale on both Gamblin and Dorland's cold wax medium. The Gamblin is a really good deal right now at 40% off list price, so that's about 83 bucks for a gallon. And you also get free shipping on orders over a certain amount. I think it's 49 bucks. so it's a good time to check out the other deals they have going on. They got some really good deals on oil paint still as well. So once again, our affiliate link is at www.messystudiopodcast.com slash Blick. Okay, back to the show. So I guess what I'm basically saying about adult art, uh, this type of um, spontaneous abstraction, if it were easy, if it were a scam to make money, uh, first of all, there'd be a lot of very, very um, you know rich artists uh, doing this kind of work. But more to the point, that's kind of jokey because obviously your career depends on a lot of things. But if it were um, easy, we wouldn't have to learn how to do this. And the fact is that it is difficult for adults. Um, right. Well, and there's that old cliche, if it was easy, everyone would do it. <laughs> right. Um, what we have as adults that is valuable is that we have we enter into it more intellectually. Now, this can be... Um, a drawback because it means we tend to overthink things. Um, and as I mentioned, the way that children approach art, usually if a, chi a child will not say, hey, I put this blue here because I want it to balance that other blue over on the other side of the paper. You know, it's not, that's really not the thought process, but that is more like what an adult would think making um, a gestural type of painting. Right. Kids will just do a bunch of stuff and then the stuff that feels right and looks good, they'll keep on doing. And that's their learning process. Mm -hmm. And as adults, it's easy. It, we tend to look at things and say, um, you know, this is why this works and why this doesn't work, not just that it does work or doesn't work. And so there's um, the, the the kid approach is to put a whole bunch out there and choose the best things. And then right. the adult approach is a little bit more intentional. Um, it's uh, it's a little bit more mindful, and there, right, that, there are benefits and drawbacks to that. The the child's choices would be intuitive. The right. child's choices would be, it just feels right, and and they may not even be conscious of it at all. But over time, certain things might start to emerge as working better than others. But you know, I, I'd say there's very little um, you know analysis that a, a little child would do at all. Um, but but for adults, it is the intuitive part that can be you know really hard, um, because we do uh, we always connect in some ways now with our intellect. With we have reference points that come with being an adult when we look at something, um, and so it's hard to access that kind of pure um, response that that children have, and. The other thing I, I think is a lovely thing that adults learn to access is that connection, that almost magical connection um, that kids have with the materials. It's it's like this childlike wonder of, 
wow, I'm going to put this this yellow down and just mix a little bit of this other interesting blue in there. And wow, look at that shade of green, you know, and it's like this total play involvement. And that is something that's extremely appealing for the adult when when you can enter that that mode. Um, but the other aspect, the storytelling and the fantasy life, that's kind of gone for most of us, I would say. Uh, but that that wonderful involvement with materials, that's that's kind of the same. And I think that's what brings people back to this a lot of times is, and the, and the pure channel for emotion, as pure as we can get it, um, is very appealing. Yeah, that storytelling aspect is really interesting, though. I, I, I wonder if that's something that, that is missing from adult artwork. Uh, the, a story is, even if it's something that doesn't translate into that, that artistic form, into that abstraction clearly for the for the person who's observing the work um i wonder if just having a story in mind would help to uh make a a work seem more complete um it'd be like an interesting kind of project for an artist to construct abstract storylines within within pieces of artwork and just kind of see if the if it improves the work at all because it's something that that is such a um, it's such a part of the human psyche and it's been a part of, of artwork for such a long time. And it's, it is something that is present in abstraction in kids, but not necessarily in adults. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I do actually know that this happens for people. Um, I've heard artists describe that they have sort of a storyline in their mind when they're doing an abstract work. Maybe we all do, um, in on, in some way, maybe it's not a strict narrative, but we're sort of we're sort of telling ourselves what's happening as we paint, you know. And whether that would qualify as a story, I'm not sure. But um, there's there is some kind of running commentary that's a little bit like that, at least. And I I do know of artists that um, respond to say poetry or a story, a myth, um, you know, music, all these things. Uh, even though they're painting very non-representationally, can enter the work, and I right. think you're, re- I think you're really right that that's that can be a strong um, concept. It would be an interesting exercise, at any rate, for artists to do. Um, yeah, I agree. To try doing a story-based, abstract work and and just just kind of explore that. I agree, and especially I would say that's a really nice idea for people that are struggling um, to make sense of their abstract work and to to find a voice with it, um, to bring structure to it, whatever it is. If you're starting with this um, idea of more gestural, spontaneous, probably non-objective work or non-representational work, what you're saying is a really interesting challenge um, that could could get your feet on the ground with something. So yeah, that was a good one. Um, uh, the, so that, and that ties in with this idea that it does help to have a concept for your um, non-representational work, uh, whether it's coming from storyline or maybe distinct emotions or um, dualities of emotion, any of those things where you could kind of say, well, yes, it, it, this is where my source was. And that can help guide you when you're doing it, whether or not the person who sees the work needs to know that or not. Um, that's that's a question. 
but something to guide you and keep you on track and help you structure it is is really a good thing. Um, there is an aspect, um, I think I mentioned it earlier, about having fluency with the material. So when you're good at using the materials that you're using, it's a kind of a different topic, but it, it provides a better channel for this spontaneity to happen. Um, so, you know, understanding your medium and, and being, I don't know, I guess the best word I can think of is fluent. You know what tools to use, you know how colors combine. And so this kind of technical base for this kind of work is important. Um, and so that's, you know, that's something I like to throw in there. It goes along with that kind of analytical thinking. These are the kind of the, the more concrete um, aspects of adult gestural painting that are important. This um, idea that you can critique the work, that you can analyze that, that you can say, yeah, I do need a little more blue over here. <laughs> those are, those are important. Um, the biggest challenge really seems to be um, for people working this way is to access that true spontaneity, that real intuition. Um, and to, to get, uh, you know, to get away from your own, um, overbearing mind about things. <laughs> and so even the idea of, of basing it on a story, I think it would have to be quite fluent. It wouldn't be a literal interpretation of a, of a story with an absolute plot line, but sort of a meandering sort of story, <laughs> because I think you do need to be open to reacting to the material and how things are going in front of you. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do to kind of loosen up, um, you know, working fast. Uh, people, Some people really like to have music on as a bit of a distraction to kind of listen to the music rather than what's going on in your head um, or even talk stuff going on. You know, it, it depends on the person. We did a podcast about that early on, I think, what, about what people listen to in their studio. Um, using non-dominant hands, um, using tools that are just hard to control, like a stick or something, you know, uh, allowing for more, um, less thought to go into it. Um, but it, it's, it seems like just inevitable that we're sort of self-conscious about all this stuff because we're grownups and um, becoming conscious of ourselves is that's developmental. Um, so we are going to think about it. But I think if you do this kind of work, Try not to beat yourself up for engaging in analysis and all that. It's important. But um, overthinking is another thing. And that's where a lot of people get frozen and they just they just can't seem to let go and say, hey, what? let's just see what happens, you know. And hey, that I like that. I'm going to leave it. Um, it's like that urge to sort of plan out ahead of time can be pretty overpowering. <laughs> but even when you're making those decisions, to make them quickly. I'm going to put the blue here and then just see how I like it. Um, so it, it that's a hard, it's a hard process to describe and it's a hard process to coach anybody on. It is, it's a shift. It's a shift in the way you're approaching your work. Um, that not the same thing will, will work for everybody. I speak from experience, I've found it really difficult to move away from at least some awareness of traditional landscape painting. I use landscape elements in my work. I, I get a lot of ideas from the landscape, 
but it's an ongoing challenge for me to enter a truly abstract frame of mind when I work and to not rely on um, visual images uh, from what I've seen, even though I'm, I'm excited about the idea and I'm trying to, to ever push towards that. Um, but it's certainly not easy. Um, so that's kind of like what I have to say about that kind of work by adults to say, hey, uh, if people who made this flippant remark, which they mean as a put down, could understand uh, the the difficulties that people go through, but also why they want to do it um, in appreciating it um, a little bit better. So, and just a, f- a few more things I wanted to say about that, the children, um, child art, and getting back to the documentary that I watched, I thought it was very interesting because I just talked about as adults, we are self-conscious. Children making um, their paintings, little kids I'm talking about, are pretty unself-conscious. You know, that's that's why they can do this stuff with the stories and the, you know, they can just totally enter their fantasy world. And I thought it was interesting that part of this film that I watched, um, it was 60 Minutes wanted to kind of, well, it turned out their, probably their motivation was to kind of do an expose that, hey, this child is not really making these paintings. And so they, they wanted to film her and doing one. And she got all the cameras pointed at her and she becomes self-conscious. She becomes a little silly. She starts making mud um, and doing things to sort of like kids do when they're at the center of attention, you know, <laughs> it's not, not really her, not really the way that she would work. Her parents later were able to film her um, and she was more relaxed with that. And you see her, and it's a beautiful part of the film where you see her um, making choices intuitively, I'm sure, but I'm going to put this yellow line here and then I'm going to do this red thing. And it's, you know, it's, it has a different um, approach to it. It's, it's um, a, an inner rhythm that she's following. And um, it's really interesting to see that. But that ability to become critical about work really doesn't um, happen until later or possibly urged along by adults saying, um, oh, that doesn't look like a house or what are you trying to do? Or that's just a mess. Um, That can have a lot of effect on how a child is going to approach it. But basically... I guess what I would say is comparing these two things, this unselfconscious, spontaneous child art, which most kids engage in and enjoy um, and can be really lovely to see. Comparing that to an adult painting, it's like, I don't know, the old cliche like apples and oranges. I mean, they they have different origins. They have different uh, appearances. And... And neither one can really be the other one. It's it's really interesting how um, the uh, the 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 urges that kids have naturally that uh, that become artwork are a, a lot of times they're things that are kind of beaten out of them. Um, you know, we we're we're constantly well, we aren't hopefully on this podcast, but. Um, as a society, we're we're always discouraging certain behaviors that um, that that we are trying to rediscover as adults. Um, that uh, at some point we are told this doesn't this isn't how you should you know 
behave or act or the kind of work that you should be doing. And, um, and we come to find out later that those were uh, cultural norms that don't necessarily produce good results, that they produce uniform results, but they're not necessarily good results. And then we try to go back and rediscover what it was that we lost in childhood. And uh, I think that that's a big part of what we're trying to do as artists is to um, explore the, the boundaries of, of culture. And a lot of these are, um, are boundaries that are put in place when we're very young. You know, and when you say that, something that comes to my mind is how children are taught, many children, through experience at school or elsewhere with parents, friends, they're taught not to be honest. Really, little kids are so bluntly honest about things. But as we grow, we learn to disguise ourselves and we learn to not be quite as honest as we could or should be. And we become, you know, sort of disconnected with that ability to to speak the truth and say the truth and see the truth. And when you say, you know, trying to rediscover these things, so much of what we do try to do as artists is to recapture basic truths about how we see things, how we feel, and, and how we, um, what we know about. And and it is, it's very challenging because our adult brain will continue to censor that. And maybe that's really what Picasso's quote was about too, is that it took him a lifetime to paint as a child, to, to rediscover the honesty and the sincerity of his work. Right. Um, and, and it's something we struggle with. Well, and shame is such a, a profound childhood trauma that we all that we all carry around with us all the time. And, you know, the things that we were shamed for as children. And making making a mud puddle out of your paints is is one of those things that a lot of kids are shamed for. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's it's it's like we're all trying to challenge these or break through these walls that were created by childhood traumas and that's that's one that's really common well and and my my own one that i i will never forget is being told as in third grade and we we're supposed to draw a picture of our family and i drew myself wearing i think i've told this story before in the podcast but i drew myself wearing pants because after school when we came home in the days when little girls wore dresses we had to change into our pants before we could go out and play and um, put on your play clothes. So I drew a picture of myself and my brothers in our play clothes playing in the yard. And the teacher said, I don't see you in this picture. Where are you? I don't see any little girls. And I said, well, that's me right there. Oh, that's not a little girl. It's not wearing a skirt or a dress. And it was like, I was really little, you know, eight or nine years old, but it was like, Wow. Okay, I'm gonna try to process that, you know. Right, right. <laughs> and and really, what I came out of it thinking was, well, she doesn't really know what she's talking about. This teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a that's a very healthy conclusion to come to. <laughs> but you know, if I if I had been a little less sure of myself as an artist at that point, evidently I had a little self confidence. Um, I I would have said, oh, okay, got it, right little girls wear skirts in every drawing right. you know <laughs> well and i'm sure that that was you know something that was that was instilled in you by your parents too cuz i i have a, a similar story where we were 
in uh, I think we were in kindergarten or in first grade or something. We had some some Manila envelope that we had to decorate. This might be a story I've told on the podcast too. We evidently have our stories. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and I, you know, did some you know very expressionistic abstract thing on this Manila envelope, you know, with lots of colors and lines going in different directions and stuff. And I'm sure it just looked like a bunch of scribbles, but the, uh, the teacher was like, you know, very upset that I had ruined this Manila envelope and that I hadn't done a a proper drawing on it. (laughs) And, uh, and I was like, no, it's abstract. Yeah. My mother's an abstract artist. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So she kind of had to be like, all right. She couldn't exactly bring it to you and be like, look at what he did to this manila envelope. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, do you ha- do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? I think that uh trying to equate child art and adult art is while there are certainly some similarities that are positive and wonderful, they are different they're different animals (laughs) and uh, they're speaking somewhat different languages and it, it would be good for people to appreciate that. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of the messy studio. For more from the messy studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find the messy studio on Facebook as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and www.squeegeepress.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.